Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery. With your host. Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and our uh, Roger Stone, thank you for being here. Delighted to be here. Actually, you know, the first thing, um, one thing I was, it, it reminded me of you as soon as I saw this, and um, it was about the, because uh, you're a marijuana support, like you, you'd like to see it legalized, wouldn't you? That is correct. First, I'd like to see us protect the states that have legalized it for medicinal or other purposes, and then I'd like to see it legalized federally. Uh, you know, across the board. Yeah. You know, because I noticed the uh, FDA approved um, the Epidelux on Monday, yesterday, but yet because it's a Schedule 1, they're not going to be able to sell it. Yeah, <laughs> having marijuana as a Schedule 1 drug is kind of like having beer as Schedule 1 and wild turkey as Schedule 2. It, yeah. it makes no sense at all. Uh, and we have traditionally been in this catch-22 in which the federal government tells us, well, we don't have enough research uh, to make it legal, and we can't research it. We can't afford money for researching uh, because it's illegal. 
So it, it, it's self-defeating. It's a paradox. Uh, and Sure. At, at the same time, you have an absolute majority of the House that have consistently supported the Rohrabacher Amendment to prevent the federal government from cracking down on on uh, state legalized marijuana with federal funds. Well, that's so. I'm I'm confused in what the, what the issue is. I mean, Jeff Sessions obviously is against it. I, I guess that's well, and therein and, and and therein lies the problem. So, under Barack Obama, one of the few public policy positions that his administration put forward that I think was excellent was a decision to have the federal government stand down when it came to the question of uh, federal law for distribution and possession in those states that had legalized marijuana, mostly for medicinal purposes, 29 states. Uh, And it worked quite well. Jeff Sessions came along, and as soon as the Rohrabacher protections expired in the Congress, and that's an important distinction because he went and lobbied members of the Rules Committee to prevent the Rohrabacher Amendment from being attached to the budget, as it has been every year since uh, 2014. Uh, The minute that expired, he repealed the cold coal memo under Obama, which gave any prosecutor anywhere in any state the discretion to prosecute possession and distribution of marijuana in the states where the states have legalized it. So all you need is one prosecutor looking for headlines, trying to climb the political ladder and cultivate the far right, uh, and you have a calamity. So the president has stepped in here and is now working on a federal law that will protect state legalized marijuana, really a step in the right direction. So why didn't they do that to begin with rather than just, well, we're going to just stand down? Why not just change the law? Well, that's an excellent question. Uh, The president made clear in his campaign that he would support the access continued access of millions of Americans who use it for medicinal purposes, that it was a states' rights matter. It didn't matter what Donald Trump's personal position was. He took the position that it should be up to the people. Evidently, Jeff Sessions just never got the memo, and he has been out on his own agenda. I also think, I don't think, I know, uh, he's misled the president on this issue on a number of occasions, by saying, oh, no, Mr. President, we're just trying to crack down on this recreational marijuana. It's mm-hmm. only allowed in nine states. You're not for that, are you, Mr. President? So he's dissembled, but I think his bluff has been called. And hats off to Cory Gardner, the senator from Colorado, who really held the president's feet to the fire here to make sure he would keep his campaign commitment. Yeah. Interesting, and, and, and Canada just approved it federally, so uh, it won't be long, and it's going to be sold across the border all the time. So time to catch up. <laughs> well, the president clearly understands that this is greatly optimal to the use of opioids. He understands that if there is a public health crisis in the country today, it's opioid-based. It's not cannabis-based. 
In Israel, the government uses cannabis formally to treat their soldiers with PTSD. Um, this has been a healing herb for centuries, uh, and until Big Pharma got into the act and essentially uh, made it illegal, uh, it was a reputable form of medicine, and it should be again. Yeah. Oh, totally. Now, now your latest book that just came out last month, Stone's Rules, and it's how to win that uh, politics, business, and style. So um, how do we win? <laughs> <laughs> well, these are kind of a list of maxims or guidelines that have been bumping around in my head for 40 years, uh, and I used to just spout them off. And finally, my friends, Michael Smirkanish at CNN and Tucker Carlson at Fox, uh, badgered me to get this all on paper and finally get it out the door. Um, this manuscript sat around for a long time, uh, and I would slowly annotate it and update it, but now I have published it. And, you know, it's kind of in the vein of Machiavelli's uh, The Prince or Sun Tzu's The Art of War or Robert Greene's 48 Rules of Power, a little more jocular than that, kind of short, pithy observations about everything, whether it's food, clothing, uh, public relations, advertising, internet marketing, uh, you know, it, it is just a, a obviously political strategy, but you don't have to be a conservative or a Republican or a Trump supporter to enjoy and benefit from this book. It's not really a political book in that sense. I mean, you can certainly see my politics in it, but these are lessons that are just as applicable for a progressive or a liberal or a Democrat or somebody who is, isn't in politics at all and isn't into politics. These are more like rules for life, whether yeah. you're in business or media or fashion or agriculture. Rules for uh, success. would do well. Exactly. Yeah, and style, certainly you have style. You've always had that. Um, do you think that the general public has, has gotten away from that too much? Have they gone too casual? Slovenly is the way I would put it. Well, ah, yeah, I'm my to... <laughs> word exactly. You stole my word, Roger. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice. I, I, the reason I, I, mean, say... I don't understand people who, people who wear athletic clothes to go to a shopping mall. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't understand. I don't understand. Um, you know, people who don't dress for the occasion. The whole key to being well dressed is to dress appropriately for the activity in which you're going to be engaged. You wouldn't wear a tuxedo to go bowling. You don't wear athletic clothes to go shopping. Uh, it's that simple. Yeah, dress appropriately for what you are going to be doing. If you're going to be engaged in business. I think business people, businessmen and women who are well turned out, are treated better, are taken more seriously, present themselves better than people who are slovenly. Right. Well, I'll, I'll take it one step further, Roger. I don't understand what it is about wearing pajamas everywhere. Do you just roll out of bed for the day and then you're already dressed to roll back in? <laughs> Well, in a sense, I mean, look, Mark Zuckerberg seems to own only, from what I can tell, a hoodie uh, and jeans. Um, and there's certainly appropriate time for that. 
say if you're going camping or something. But to a board meeting, no, I don't think that's what you ought to be wearing. Yeah. Well, I think that I also spend a lot of time. I also spend a lot of time talking about how to take care of clothing so it lasts, how to buy wisely in the beginning. I mean, there's a lot of tips in here. The correct size for cufflinks, right? And so on. Yeah. Stay. Yeah. Uh, stay away from Walmart. The uh, <laughs> we we also but we dress to respect others. So we're we're dressed accordingly is showing our respect for who we're we're with at the time as well. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Now, um the big talk of uh around uh the states for sure is the uh investigation by Mueller. So What's oh boy! The, Here we go. Well, jump into it. What's the latest? What what what's going on with that? And what well, should... it's somewhat hard to say. It seems to be that Mr. Mueller has come up empty-handed. As far as Roger Stone is concerned, he's empty-handed in any evidence of Russian collusion. He is empty-handed in any evidence of hijinks with WikiLeaks. No, I never received anything from WikiLeaks or Julia Assange or the Russians or anyone else, including allegedly hacked emails, and pass them on to Donald Trump or the Trump campaign. That's an NBC News narrative that just happens to be demonstrably false. Uh, that said, um, CNN reports that uh, the special counsel is examining my personal finances uh, Reuters and others have reported that they have interrogated, in some cases, subpoenaed people who have currently or previously worked for me, uh, very, very aggressive in their interrogation, asking questions about my personal life, my relationship with my, li- my wife, uh, my sex life, my relationship with my children, um, whether I smoke marijuana, God forbid. How much I like to drink, uh, who are my clients, where my money comes from. Uh, you know, I, I find this extraordinarily invasive. Uh, I thought this was about Russian collusion and the 2016 election. So um, I think as one of the president's oldest friends, I've known him 40 years, 39 and a half years, wanted him to run for president uh, as early as 1988, again in 2000. Again, in 2012, and then finally in 2016, um, while it's not abnormal they might examine me, I have to wonder if they seek to conjure up some other extraneous offense. After all, an unfettered federal prosecutor can indict a ham sandwich Mm -hmm. uh, and try to use it you know, to uh, pressure me to testify in some way against the president. We'll just have to see. So um, I did an interview with The Hill last week. I was very careful. I never used the word indicted in my commentary. Headline, Roger Stone expects to be indicted. Well, that's not what I said. Uh, But I do think there's a high probability that I will be framed for something. No, I, I've got to ask this. I, I've I've listened to you, and I listened to you on Alex. You know, I'm a avid Infowars listener, and as I'm listening to this investigation, I don't see anywhere where they even have probable cause. Uh, this is to me 
in, in my humble opinion, is looking like a huge Fourth Amendment issue. Well, I don't disagree. I mean, I'm telling you right now that they have uh, full, unfettered access to my email, to my text messages, to my phone calls. This very call is being monitored. You can be sure of that because I'm using my cell phone. Yeah, what is the probable cause? Of, uh, what is the evidence of a crime? Liberals go crazy when I say this, but I have never met with Julian Assange. I've never spoken to him. I've never uh, emailed with him. I've never been in touch with him. But even if I had, that is not a crime. Right. They're looking for. They're they're looking for a connection between Roger Stone and Russian collusion. But let me quote here from the Fourth Amendment, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. So why are they, why are they shotgun approaching Roger Stone here? Searching everything, even getting involved in your marriage and, you know, they, under whose authority are they doing this? It's a superb question, uh, because, uh, because I am uh, a strong supporter of the president, by the way, I don't argue that he's perfect. He's done a number of things that I really like. 4% economic growth pretty damn good. I like what he's doing in Korea. Three other presidents tried this and couldn't get them to the peace table. There are other things I don't like. I'm very disappointed that we still have troops in Afghanistan. Still disappointed that we're deeply engaged in Syria. Uh, but uh, overall, I think he's doing an extraordinarily good job. And I think I am being targeted. I think I am being persecuted because um, this is, in fact, the, the Hillary gang. The prosecutors overwhelmingly, to a man and woman, on Mr. Mueller's strike force are Democrats, who many of whom contributed to Hillary and others supported her, as evidenced by some of their emails. So uh, this is a partisan hit squad. And I'm the conservative that liberals love to hate. Um, the, the, the text tell the entire story. Um, you've discussed the text. I was listening to Hannity. They discussed the text. Uh, Roger, my, my, my God, why is nobody taking these texts serious when they're calling Miss uh, um, Clinton the president and we will stop him? Uh, I mean, what the heck is going on there? Well, and how about this? Peter Stroke says the president wants to be briefed. He wants to know everything. Yeah, I'm getting so Why hasn't Barack Obama been placed before a House or Senate committee under oath with the TV cameras running and he's being asked about this? As Howard Baker said of Richard Nixon during Watergate, what did the president know and when did he know it? A fish rots from the head. Obama knew everything about the operation to hijack the 2016 election in violation of the Constitution. Where are the civil libertarians? We clearly had the use of FISA warrants, national security warrants, that were used as a rationale for spying on the Republican candidate for president. That's spying on a candidate for president was what Watergate was all about. The difference was, in, in Watergate, private individuals who it turned out to be associated with the president's campaign 
got caught breaking into the Watergate to plant bugs and got caught infiltrating the opponents of Richard Nixon. What we have here is far more egregious. It's the use of the power and the authority of the state to interfere in an election and spy on the Republican candidate for president and his campaign. It is so extra-constitutional, it's extraordinary, which is why Mr. Rosenstein is refusing to hand over the documents, because that will give away the game. Now, thinking like an average Joe, you mentioned the FISA warrants, and as a sidebar, I'd certainly like to know what judge signed those. But thinking like an average Joe for just a moment, would it be safe to say, kind of put this in context, that the FISA warrants were almost used as a replacement for like a grand jury indictment? Well, certainly for a, for a federally court-ordered warrant, because the secret, you say, if you go to a judge and get a warrant for an investigation or for a search, that's a matter of public record. Mm-hmm. A FISA warrant is a secret. Nobody can know. A FISA warrant can only be issued against an American citizen, a U.S. citizen, if they're actively engaged in espionage against the United States on behalf of a foreign power. I don't meet that criteria. Either mm-hmm. does Carter Page. Either does Paul Manafort. But the New York Times said on January 20th, 2017, that we were subject to a FISA warrant. Um, I have filed freedom of information requests with a dozen agencies of government asking for information I'm entitled to. Uh, I don't have high prospects that anything will come back. I think they're all going to play dumb or tell me that it's classified. Uh, And then I'll have to pursue to the courts for, you know, some kind of a tort uh, action. Uh, against the government based on the violation of my civil rights. I intend to do that. Wow, so that would be like a 1984, a writ of 1984. Um, so what, do you, what is their end game? Why, why, why are they doing this? Because rumor has it, and I believe you have said this, Roger, that it's a possibility that, that Trump is only going to serve one term, and we're halfway through that. Why... Why do they continue this this madness? Because he, he so threatens their control of the institutions. For 30 years, they have given us endless foreign war, where our inherent national interests are not clear, erosion of our civil liberties, reading our emails, keeping metadata on our communications, uh, and worse. Uh, international trade deals that were sold to us as the panacea, but have in fact robbed the country of jobs. Uh, immigration policies that are a mess, that cheat the people who are waiting in line to do it legally, and advantage the people who are cheating or jumping the line and entering the country illegally. Uh, they have uh, given us economic policies where we have a stagnant economy. I mean, Trump has hit four and maybe even four and a half percent growth in this quarter. It, it, the, the corporate and personal income tax cuts haven't even had a chance to gain traction yet. Uh, you could have even more robust growth in the next quarter. 
remember, it was during the Barack presidency, they told us that that was structurally impossible. It could no longer be done. And oh, we yeah. We have to accept that we were not the world leader anymore, that we were just, a, just another part of the global economy. I remember the words. Uh, it, all these businesses, they're gone. They're never coming back. They're gone. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15, 15 15, just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So I just think Trump so threatens the status quo. He threatens their cozy little bipartisan deals. I mean, the country has been run by a two-party duopoly of elites, uh, and they pretend to fight for the TV cameras. Uh, and then when they turn off the cameras, they all go to dinner together and laugh about how they fooled the American people yet again. Mm. Now, uh, that leads me to another question, Roger, and, and, and just indulge me in this. Um, so far, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy with what Trump has done. And I, I think that's that's obvious. But he has really kind of disappointed me greatly on the building of the wall. He promised he, it was central to his campaign. Uh, 
He told us that Mexico was going to pay for it, and then some months later, well, it's going to cost us this. Well, now it's going to cost us this, but I still promise the wall, and the cost has gone up exponentially. Where is he standing on this, and why do we not at least have the beginnings of a construction of a wall out there? Well, I think he's got to get the. He's going to have to get the support of Congress to build the wall in any way you shake it. Uh, but I think he remains deeply committed to it. He was talking about it the end the other day. Uh, we know what their bargaining chip is. It's DACA. They know what ours is. It's the wall. They're not going to get what they want unless we get what we want. And he's been open to making that deal. I don't know how many, how much clearer he could make it. They just don't want to come to the table. So now they're attacking him for policies at the border put in place by George W. Bush and enforced by Barack Obama. The, hmm. the so-called separation of families, which took place be before, during the two previous presidents. But they act like this was a Trump invention. Um, it also was a handy way to distract from the fact that their Russian collusion BS is collapsing around their ankles in Washington. I don't know if you saw the Horowitz Ray show before Congress, but it, it was a joke. Chris Ray says the answer is we're going to have sensitivity training for FBI agents. So this never happens again. <laughs> that, that's absurd. Oh, uh, these activities were limited to a small rogue group that had no authority. That's a lie. That's not true. Peter Stroke is the one who interviewed General Mike Flynn, for which he is now charged and may be facing jail. Would you call that no authority? It, yeah, it's a lot of finger pointing and, and obfuscation at, at, at best. Um, do you think anybody's going to see any jail time out of any of this other than Manafort? Positively not. And Manafort, I can tell you, is very anxious to get to trial. In this country, you're still not you're still innocent until proven guilty. The government is, is squeezing him. They have him incarcerated, not because he was witness tampering, because they don't want to go to trial because the judge will ultimately order the story on the FISA warrant. Let's be very clear. Right now in discovery, the special prosecutor insists in writing that Manafort was never under surveillance at all. That's a lie. That's a lie that will be proven in court. That's why they don't want to go to court. This is an effort to squeeze Manafort into pleading uh, and rolling over on the president. Oh, yes, I was working closely with the Russians, and Trump knew everything. I just don't see him doing that. What was so, it again, as Joplin said? Freedom is just having nothing left to lose? He's got nothing left to lose. That's true. It's funny, you should use that as an illustration. Um, now, let, let's go back to something that we kind of glanced over, and I want to know if it's true. Is Trump a one-term president? Well, that's totally up to him. Uh, all I have said is, uh, and I've worked for three Republican presidents, I've been through ten uh, presidential campaigns, nine for Republicans, one for a Libertarian. Some people run for office to be someone. Other people run for office to do something. 
Donald Trump didn't need to run for president to become famous. He was already famous. He didn't need to run for president to get an amazing house. He's got an amazing house. In fact, two of them. He didn't run for president to get an incredible airplane. He's already got an incredible airplane. So he, he never needed this for the purposes of his ego or to establish who he was. So he ran for president to do something. It's costing him money, hundreds of millions of dollars in opportunity costs. He's become a polarizing figure in the country, which is never good for a business person who's trying to sell to the public. Uh, I could see a circumstance at the end of four years, if the economy is robust, if the trade deals have been cashiered and we've negotiated separate deals with our trading partners that are mutually beneficial, if he has built the wall and sealed the border, uh, if he has uh, packed the Supreme Court and the courts with jurists who believe in the rule of law and the rights of victims rather than criminals, uh, if he has uh, succeeded in the major aspects of his agenda, there'd be no reason to stick around. He doesn't love the job for the job itself. He likes serving the public. But I think he would be very satisfied to walk away, uh, and he would be judged as a great president, having gotten most of his, or not, if not all, of his agenda done. Now, you, you mentioned that you've worked for a, a, a lot of administrations. Um, what got you started? I mean, where was your foot in the door, and, and how did it grow to where you are now? <clears throat> Well, I was, uh, as a 12-year-old, I became a, an acolyte of uh, Barry Goldwater. Uh, Next-door neighbor gave me a paperback book called The, Man, uh, the Conscience of a Conservative. Uh, I read it, and I was completely mesmerized by Goldwater's philosophy of small government, low spending, low taxes, maximum personal freedom, uh, uh, a, a peace through strength, a strong national defense, which doesn't mean going around the globe looking for wars to stick your nose in the middle of that aren't your business. Uh, and um, I became a zealot for the Goldwater campaign. I was crushed when he lost. After all, when you're 12 years old, you're not much of a handicapper. <laughs> uh, but I wrote a letter. I began to study the 1960 election four years previously. Uh, and I determined in the 1960 election, and I've written a book on this, that, that despite a series of early mistakes, that Richard Nixon had the election stolen from him. Uh, and that is even after rebounding after a disastrous first debate uh, and a number of other errors that we don't have time to go into. So I wrote a letter where he was practicing law and where he was a, uh, you know, out of power uh, in exile in New York City practicing law. And I told him if he ever wanted to run again, which he should, that I was ready, that I would be with him. Uh, and two years later, um, I got a call from an assistant to the vice president asking me if I was still interested. I went to New York City and interviewed for a job, a menial job, but a job, uh, and I accepted and I started working on the 1968 Nixon campaign essentially as a gopher for John Mitchell. 
later attorney general, Nixon's campaign manager, who would, I think, unfairly go to jail in Watergate. Watergate, which he didn't know about and didn't approve. Mm-hmm. Watergate, which he turned off on at least two occasions. So here we are now. I, 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 here's a question I've been waiting to ask you. Throughout all of these congresses that, that you have worked in and all the presidencies that you have been close to, and something that I've noticed today, a, a change in the way that our government is working and thinking, would you say that McCarthy was right? Well, I've read um, uh, M. Stanton Evans' book, Black Ball by History, Mm-hmm. Uh, which is an, really an important book uh, because it makes the case that essentially documents that everything McCarthy said was correct uh, and he was destroyed because he got too close to the truth. There was widespread communist infiltration at the highest levels of both the Roosevelt and Truman administration. There were dedicated communist spies like Alger Hiss steering our foreign uh, and domestic policies. So um, I urge anybody who has questions about that period to read Evan's book. It is, shall we say, not the conventional view. So what has been your greatest influence? Who has influenced you the most throughout your career? Well, that's a difficult question. Um, uh, Governor Tom Kane of New Jersey, who taught me that politics was the art of inclusion, not exclusion, um, would be certainly one of my major influences. Governor John Davis Lodge of Connecticut, uh, who taught me uh, that um, the party needed to be broad and not narrow. It was about, again, reaching out to minority groups and other ethnic groups and in an effort to build a broader coalition. Jack Kemp, the Buffalo congressman who very much like John Kennedy practiced an optimistic, upbeat, uh, positive brand of politics. Mm -hmm. You know, the Republican Party of Robert Taft was selling people pain. We're gonna cut spending, we're gonna cut services, we're gonna cut everything, it'll be good for you. It's gonna hurt, it's really gonna be good for you. (laughs) People don't buy pain. They don't want to buy pain. They want to buy growth. They want to buy a positive uh, vision. So I would have to list Kemp as one of my major influences. Hmm. You know, um, when I look back at one of your books, The Man Who Killed Kennedy, uh, the case against LBJ, do do you still feel the same way as you did when you wrote the book? Uh, if anything, I feel stronger because when you when you uh, write a book like this and it gets notoriety, and that book's a New York Times bestseller, I've got an enormous amount of media coverage, not by the New York Times and the Washington Post, of course, uh, information begins to come to you over the transom, much of it credible, much of it documented, that actually bolsters the case. Now I hear you have Max Holland coming up. <laughs> yeah. Max, still on the CIA payroll, or they kicked him off? Uh, you know, he I, lies I could, about I this. Ask. He lies about this. Con- he lies about this constantly. Sorry, Max. 
John F. Kennedy was not shot by Lee Harvey Oswald acting alone, and he was not a Russian spy. Wrong. Wrong. Uh, uh-oh. I use, I use uh, fingerprint evidence, eyewitness evidence, deep Texas politics, uh, an enormous amount of research to make a compelling case that Lyndon Johnson had the motive, means, and opportunity to kill John F. Kennedy. Right. When, uh, when, when, when we learned, when uh, there's a very famous piece of footage, when um, Malcolm Kilduff, spokesman for John Kennedy, announces in that famous piece of footage that John Kennedy uh, has passed away at such and such time, immediately after he's in an elevator with the vice president, and he says, who could have killed the president, Mr. President? Johnson says it was a communist son. Really? What kind of communist? Is a Russian communist son? Oh, really? Oswald hadn't been apprehended yet. How did Johnson know that? How did he know that? Why is the telex from the FBI identifying uh, Oswald sent out to every station in the country minutes before Oswald has actually been apprehended? So there's a, a lot of evidence to support my theory. It's interesting if you go to Wikipedia, there are hundreds and hundreds of positive reviews of my book. The one Wikipedia runs is the negative review by Max Holland. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say it because Max Holland bases his on the tapes of Johnson being um, scared of being killed himself by the same assassin. The consummate actor. The consummate actor. Yeah. Who knew the tape was running? Oh, Lyndon Johnson knew the tape was running. The consummate actor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I thought I'd uh, follow up. Uh, it, it, do you have any, have you come across any new evidence or any new theories that you've added to what you've written? Well, I, I, for example, the anecdote about Kildoff that I just told you was unknown to me at the time. I learned that after I wrote the book. Uh, look, there, it's a compelling case. You have to read the book. It is indisputable based on uh, eyewitnesses uh, in their memoirs, Senator Ralph Yarborough in his memoir, uh, still photo news photographs and um, uh, newsreel photographs that Lyndon Johnson, as his car turns into Dealey Plaza, three three car lanes behind President Kennedy's car, hits the deck, and he hits the deck before, not after, the first bullet is fired. Mm. Why? Like he was expecting it. Yarborough records it in his memoir. Senator Yarbrough was in the car with Johnson. Now, in the Warren Commission inquiry, Rufus Youngblood, the Secret Service agent, said that he, uh, he heard the first shot and he pushed Johnson to the floor. That's the official version. After Johnson's death, Youngblood came forward and said, well, that's actually not true. That's what I was told to say. By who? The, by the president. Oh. Who he worked for. Hmm. So, look, I, I invite anybody who's skeptical. I understand that there are skeptics. Uh, the Kennedy assassination is a, it's a murder mystery. It fascinates Americans even today. And there are dozens of theories 
uh, and uh, there's no theory it shouldn't be examined. But motive means an opportunity. Cui bono? Who benefits? Why does Johnson reverse the orders for withdrawal from Vietnam within hours of becoming president? Yeah. Because that would point to motive. Uh, look, I think John and Robert Kennedy um, had aggravated a number of the important institutions. The Pentagon and the intelligence agencies were angry about the Bay of Pigs and the Cuban Missile Crisis because they knew that the Soviet missiles were never removed from Cuba, but that there was a secret deal to remove our missiles from Turkey and Italy, which was classified for four years, but the military knew it in real time. Uh, and then you had organized crime. They had financed John Kennedy's campaign for president on a promise that Santo Traficante and Carlos Marcello, two of the major mobsters of the day, would not be deported, which the Eisenhower administration was trying to do. Bobby Kennedy became attorney general. By the way, I'm a big admirer of Robert Kennedy. And this four-part series on Netflix on Bobby is terrific. Um, uh, but he proceeded against them very aggressively. They fell double-crossed. We have the surreptitious jail recordings of Carlos Marcelo saying that he did it and predicting it. You have Jack Ruby's undeniable ties to the mob, which everybody but the Warren Commission seemed to be able to find. Um, so they have motive. Big Texas Oil has motive because Johnson is trying, Kennedy is trying to repeal the oil depletion allowance. But nobody has as much motive as LBJ. Bobby Kennedy's Justice Department is breathing down his neck on the Bobby Baker and Billy Sal Estes scandals. Johnson is looking at the federal penitentiary and knows it, and therefore he has to act. But Drew Pearson the most powerful columnist most likely of that day, had a column scheduled for November 24th, a Sunday, uh, pardon me, the 23rd, uh, that, uh, a Sunday, which accused Johnson of taking a bribe in a, the, uh, uh, in a general dynamics uh, military appropriation for the TSF missile. Mm. Uh, once that column hit print, Johnson knew he was cooked. When Kennedy was shot, the column was spiked by the syndicate for Drew Pearson. Never ran. Oh, wow. Wow. You're going to have to do another debate with yeah. Gerald, Gerald Posner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I, really like Ger I really like Gerald Posner. He's a very smart guy and yeah. a very worthy adversary. Uh, and I like debating him. Yeah, yeah, we love him. We've had him a lot, and his wife. It's a lot of fun, actually. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're really know. good people. His books on Saudi Arabia and the Saudi threat are extraordinary. On the other hand, believe it or not, Gerald is opposed to the legalization of marijuana and a big supporter of the war on drugs. I say, Gerald, how can you be wrong on every major question of the entire century? <laughs> He's such a smart guy. Yeah. Oh, this is going to be a pay-per-view event. Yeah. <laughs> Makes no sense. 
Well, Roger Stone, it's always a pleasure to have you on. And uh, again, your book, Stone Rules, and it's How to Win at Politics, Business, and Style. Um, Thank you for being on the show. You know, it's a funny thing. If I take the link to buy this book at, say, Amazon, Mm -hmm. and I post it on Facebook, and I try to promote it, it's rejected as having inappropriate content. <laughs> if I take it to Google Shortener, because it's always very long, it's rejected as spam. But you can go to Google, you can probably go to Amazon, you can go to Barnes & Noble, you can go to my own site, stonecoldtruth.com, at the store there, it's available, it's available in bookstores. You can find it, but it's much harder to find via Facebook. Yeah, we'll have it on our on our website as well, linked up, so people can just click right on it. Terrific. And and you'll be proud to know that I wore slacks and a nice polo for this interview. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Again, you're dressing for the activity in which you are engaged. <laughs> Thank you, Roger. <laughs> All right. Many, many thanks. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery Radio Show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.